0: John could not be with us tonight. But we're going to be looking at the qualifications of a deacon. This is a pretty well-known passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I am uh, sure that many, if not everyone in this room, those listening online, have heard this passage. But we'd like to maybe challenge your thinking on some of the qualifications of a deacon. And uh, not necessarily going to turn your world upside down, I imagine. But make sure that we understand what is traditionally expected of deacons versus what is biblically expected of deacons and there is a difference there Ethan a lot of churches i think have an expectation of deacons which is fine if it if it's a if it's a necessity for their culture church culture or ethnic culture that requires something from the deacons to accomplish their job i get that but for us to take that expectation and to place it on a biblical level, level from other deacons, even when God Himself does not require it, I think that's the danger.
1: Yeah, I was listening to the discussion you guys had last week on Sunday night, um, and it's it's kind of surprising how we turned like a preference because it's okay to put your install your preferences into you know who you hire or who you appoint positions, but at the end of the day, like it is a preference, and a lot of churches are turning those preferences into like you know doc- like doctrine. Right. Okay. So
0: let's jump right into the passage. We're going to skip over the passage dealing with that of the elder, the bishop, or the pastor. Let's move now to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Likewise. So like the pastors, there are expectations. There are requirements, qualifications. Likewise, the deacons be grave. Now that word grave, that is an interesting word. Uh, It has the idea of seriousness as opposed to um, taking things lightly uh, not dealing with matters at the level that they require. Mm-hmm. Now, right when I read that word, and I understand the word grave, meaning a seriousness about the way in which you do things, that is so very important. If deacons are literally working with the down and out, with the, the, those struggling with physical illnesses, mental illnesses, health issues, financial issues, I don't think they want a goofball showing up at their door who, who tries to joke their way through the conversation. Or thinks that laughter is always the best medicine. And no matter how hurt you're feeling, if they can just tell you a couple good jokes, then we'll get you through. So God's Word is stating that you need to have a guy who's mature enough to basically read the room. It's not that a deacon can't ever be funny. Not that a deacon can't ever joke around. That is not what's being stated here. This idea of seriousness, obviously, is is, is, is in reference to when the ministry requires it, the man can take it at the level of seriousness that is required
1: yeah especially when again their if their job is to serve the typically the people that they're at, they're going to be asked to serve like you said are the people who are like very needy they're hurting they're, they're already hurting and they're and they're and because they're hurting they're typically in they can be in like an embarrassing embarrassing situation it's not it's not nice to have someone come to your house and realize oh like your kids um you know the the house is messy mm-hmm. you know you don't have the kids are sleeping on a mat in, the, in on the corner you know cuz that does exist um, and I remember like going on visits with my dad, who was a deacon at church, and we had to do we saw this like that. And you can't be funny because it's serious. Like these mm-hmm. people are in situations where they need help. So I mean, it's it like you said, it's kind of a moot point, but you have to say it because yeah, like the don't. This is a very serious role that you're being placed into, where you're helping people that are hurting.
0: So taking their role seriously, taking the the service seriously, mm-hmm. taking the hurt and the pain seriously, mm-hmm. not just. Treating it as oh it's okay tomorrow is a better day you'll get through it it doesn't it doesn't grave doesn't mean the antithesis only of joking you know or or of uh, um, taking everything in a in a humorous manner grave is also the antithesis of not taking it seriously Mm -hmm. not taking something um, in a manner in which it is actually happening trying to convince the person who's going through the pain that they're not really in pain. Right. It's not that big of a deal. You'll be all right. you know tomorrow's a better day. The, when the rain passes, the sun is there, right Using all these cliche terms, they're not grave. It's not that someone wants a deacon who's always frowning all the time, and everything is the worst. And you know the rain clouds never pass and the sun never comes out. That's not what we're looking for either. Right. There is a balanced approach here, and you'll see that with, with some of the other things that are mentioned. But um, we definitely need to understand that when dealing with people who are hurting, Financially, spiritually, emotionally, with their mental health, when they are hurting, they need someone that can take them seriously. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Let's move on to the next one. Not double-tongued. So, Ethan, what are your thoughts initially
1: on that phrase, double-tongued? Don't be a snake. Okay. Why don't, you, why don't you expound <laughs> a little bit? Um, you shouldn't be somebody who is uh, basically you're two-faced at this point. Okay. You're, you're, you're speaking out. What's out of your mouth?
0: Yes. So, telling the person, hey, I know that you need me. I'll be there. Yeah. Uh, your family needs me. I'll have a meal, and I'll be there at 8 o'clock, and you don't show it's up. There.
1: Right. Or, uh, like, oh, yeah, hey, the church, you know, someone, some, even, it could even be, like, someone give, saying, hey, we have a need here, and you, well-meaning, say, hey, I'm going to help you, and uh, are coming through for you up to a certain level, but you only come halfway because mm-hmm. you realize, oh, you know what, actually... I can't give you that much hope. I can only give this level of hope. And inevitably what you've done is you've lied to them because they've now placed, their, they've placed an expectation that, okay, you are going to help me and I'm getting help, but then it's not what I thought it was going to be. You're still helping them, but you gave them false hope.
0: So I think this idea of double tub is, is obviously referring to the trust of the person. Yep. I mean, isn't that, we've dealt with that, right? In yes. the leadership, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Mm-hmm. If someone can't trust you, then, of course, their ability to follow you decreases significantly. Right. If someone doesn't trust you, they will not open up their home to you, their heart to you. They won't allow you to assist them when they are const- living in constant distrust of you. Mm-hmm. A deacon needs to be trusted, not just in their character, their ability to take things at the level of seriousness that's required, they need to be trusted that their word will be um, uh, followed, that their word is something that will be accomplished.
1: I was going to say, yeah, it's their ability to follow through on the things that they say they can now, do. Now,
0: what are some reasons why a person might be viewed as double-tongued even though they have all the good intentions?
1: Um, they might just be, like, scatterbrained or lazy because, again, they're promising somebody, I'm going to do this, or, we can't do this, and then they just forget
0: so double tongued, I don't think has to require only those who are purposely deceiving. Right. It could be you said it, you didn't do it. Regardless of the reason, purposeful or not, you're coming out double tongued. I can't trust you any longer. Correct. Yeah. I think that there's a danger here with leaders. I, I find myself in this position a lot where I say I will do something and then I forget. Mm. And I am finding a more and more I need to start uh, delegating at least the, the control of my calendar and the events that are going to be that I can do. Mm to someone else other than me. Because I'll yeah. say with full intention, sure, you know, let's have a meeting and then if I don't put it on my phone, if I don't write it down somewhere, I forget that we are gonna have a meeting. Same. So <laughs> it's, it's wise to recognize as leaders that the more that we have going on in our lives, there is a need to partner with other people who have strengths in our weaknesses mm-hmm. and to take advantage of those strengths. Yeah. So for a deacon, if they're double-tongued, not due to their bad character, but due to being overwhelmed, due to being too busy, then we need to come up with a solution where that deacon has a a safety net, you might say, around them of people who kind of, hey, have you checked on this person? Have you done this? Or some kind of online calendar that all the deacons are aware of and has alerts. But uh, if it's a character issue, and I I do think that's mostly what this phrase, this word is talking about, not so much the scatterbrained deacon, but more so the deceitful deacon, the deacon who claims the world, who offers the world... Yet gives nothing. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys you do not want reaching out yes. to your community of hurt people.
1: That's the more it's the more obvious of the the two like it's it's a more direct meaning from that from that word double tongued. And it's also kind of obvious, but again, like, you know, how many churches do you know that they the guy who's been there, like you guys said last week, like last week, oh, they've been there for many years. So they've built this sort of like, oh yeah, they've been there before, they've been there for a long time, but also they haven't necessarily built a lot of trust. But because they've been there for so long, eh, might as well Make him somebody who has a position of power. Church. That's right. So.
0: Okay, Ethan, here we go. Getting into the one that I said might um, challenge some thinking here. Verse 8. Not given too much wine. Now, I, I want to ask you a question. You come from a background. I come from a background. We both do come from a background where it was don't drink mm-hmm. at all. And drinking is prohibited in the Bible at any level. That's the background I came from. I'm pretty sure that's the one you came from, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. As I do more research, I have questioned that background. Now, that has not changed my philosophy of drinking. That has not changed how much I drink. It's still nothing. I still don't drink anything, alcohol, any type. But it has challenged my biblical reasons for not drinking. Right. I still don't drink. Um, I think there is definitely biblical foundation for not being drunk. I no longer am adamant that there is a biblical Uh, truth for not drinking. I believe there is is health reasons for not drinking. I think there are practical reasons for not drinking. Uh, I was having this conversation with my health class in high school just the other day, and I said, guys, even though the Bible, I don't believe, is as clear on not drinking as some might claim, there are plenty of other reasons outside the Bible that you should stay away from drinking altogether. And if you do drink, that you should be very, very cautious when you do. But let's talk about this given to wine. A lot of times, the argument that we shouldn't drink is when you look in the New Testament and you find people drinking wine, what are we told about wine?
1: That's a mocker. It's well,
0: sure we are. That's the Old Testament. But we're right. told Old that Testament. the wine in the Gospels that Jesus Christ turned water into grape, wine grape juice. is grape juice. Right. 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 So if wine is grape juice, then why are they cautioned here for not drinking too much grape juice? And yet right. they would say, well, this is the alcoholic wine, and the other wine is non-alcoholic. Well, then where is the clarification, right. and who gets to decide right. which wine in the New Testament is alcoholic? And which line in the New Testament is not alcoholic? I will mm-hmm. tell you the Bible does clarify. The Bible clarifies, I think, higher content of alcohol yeah, by strong drink. Turning red and looking at you or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he also, in ref- the Bible, refers to a strong drink. That's, right. That is an obvious reference to a high alcoholic content drink. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't, I'm not saying that wine is like a whiskey level of alcoholic content. I am saying Ooh. that I do believe wine... <laughs> does have a level of alcoholic content here, which right. is why they were told to not drink it in excess. Mm-hmm. Now, some turn to this passage and say, well, this passage is saying to not drink it at all. But that's not, not given to wine means don't drink it at all. Mm-hmm. Except, look, if you're honest with the text, that is not what this verse is saying. Right. It says not given to much wine. If the Bible wanted to say don't drink wine, the Bible would we're say don't say drink wine. Correct. Don't yeah. drink any wine. Not given to any wine. Not what we see here, not given too much wine. Right. Now I am not saying this to defend alcoholism. I'm not saying this to defend drunkenness. The Bible is clear that drunkenness is a sin. The Bible is not clear that drinking alcohol in small amounts is a sin. The Bible doesn't say that. I I honestly wish that it did. It would sure make, in my opinion, our life a whole lot easier would, if the Bible was just downright clear on
1: it. It would make it black and white instead of gray.
0: But there is a gray
1: area. There is a gray.
0: So are deacons allowed to drink? Well, I had told our church congregation, uh, by the way, look at verse 3, 1 Timothy 3, chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not given to wine. There is a case there where pastors shouldn't be drinking it at all. Now, you could still look at that phrase and say, well, not given to wine means it implies, and implies. You could say those things. You know what? That's between you and God. I think the case is a lot stronger that pastors shouldn't drink at all than it is for deacons when it says not given too much, much wine. wine. And the phrase is different and is different on purpose. Yep. So is it possible that a church could have a deacon who meets the qualifications of being a deacon but drinks wine with their meal occasionally? In this text, I would have to say yes, that drinking wine with your meal does not, in my understanding of Scripture and the clear text that I see here, the clear text, which is not so clear, right? The clear text where it states not given too much wine. Mm-hmm. How much is much? See, that's the unclear part. Right. But it is clear when it says not given too much wine versus, versus the verse 3, not given to wine at all. And then verse, both these verses when wine obviously is a problem by drinking too much of it, and this is the same exact word used yeah. in the Gospels when Christ turned the water into, into wine, wine. And therefore, Christ was distributing wine within a party. Mm-hmm. Y'all, you know, the wine in, in the Gospels at the wedding feast was grape juice, and this is not. Again, it's the same word. So where, right. what biblical authority do you have to state such a thing? Yep. You see, when we try to use the Bible to, to justify our opinions, we are doing a disservice to the Bible. You are welcome to your opinion that alcohol at any level is hurtful. Yep. In fact... I I would probably be closer to your opinion than the other side. I have friends that drink. We have folks in our church that drink. Doesn't mean that I'm, you to start encouraging everyone to drink or or that I would ever drink. But I I get where you're coming from, and I think scientifically, health-wise, I think that there's good reasons just to stay away from it altogether. But when we use the Bible and twist the Bible and change the Bible to match our opinions, even what might be called a good opinion, we are doing harm to the Bible.
1: The church is well within its reason, well within its rights to say—the pa- no, pa- pastor, when they're choosing deacons to say, hey, it is our preference that—you're well within the rights to say that. But the moment you say, well, we believe that God's Word clearly says that, mm. okay, that's where you're in a great area. But again, you can have a strong uh, preference, and it's okay to say that it's a very strong preference, so that, we, so that you know, because I've heard pastors say— we have this preference so that we can avoid any questions. Yes. Okay, that's fine. Yes. That's fine. You can have that but as long as you're not stating that God's word clearly states that wine and alcohol is um, a non-negotiable no. For I was here.
0: shocked to read the <clears throat> Bible because when I was when, and find this because when I was younger that was never stated yes. as an, even an option. Well, even in college. We had people, uh, Even in college. I know, we, people. we went to different colleges, but we yes. had the same kind of people telling <laughs> yes. us the same kind of thing. Yes. It was never even <laughs> stated as an option that alcohol at any level was okay. <clears throat> right. And it, it concerned me greatly when I started doing research on my own to find that the verses didn't match the instruction that was given to me. Right. They didn't change what I did. I didn't start drinking because I recognized what the Bible said. Correct. And that is my encouragement to you. Don't be concerned that when you preach the truth that people are going to say, oh, we can drink wine, and then a bunch of people are going to go out and get drunk all the time. You know, we have this vision in our head that, that the membership of a church is going to be prone to taking everything they can to the, to the fullest extent and more. So if you tell them that drinking wine is possibly okay, then everyone's going to be a drunk. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that played out in the lives of believers. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Not on the mass level that our anxiety tells us it will yes. if we as preachers somehow state the truth that— this verse is, is basically giving the option for, for deacons to have some light drinking in their lives.
1: It kind of goes to, I mean, not to go down too much of a rabbit trail, but it kind of goes to like all the other things that, the path, that we, you know, from our upbringing we would see as now, okay, that's a preference, where they are trying to avoid heartache by, from people making bad, bad decisions. And so to avoid that heartache, they say, well, let's institute um, this doctrine here, this law. So to right. speak, you're right. And so, um, well, we don't have any drinking problems because mm. he <laughs> said that it's
0: wrong. <laughs> and the, and the surest way to in to to make sure that everyone follows it yes. is to not say this is what I think, but what the Bible says. Right. Even when the Bible doesn't really say it. Correct. That.
1: And you, know, you can say the same thing for just, like, Oh well, we don't have anybody committing morality. I mean, all our women wear, wear dresses. No one wears pants up in here. So mm. good know? point. Yeah, stuff like that.
0: Okay. Let's move on to the last one that we'll get to tonight, and that's going to be in verse 8 again. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Ethan, what does that phrase, filthy lucre, mean?
1: Filthy lucre. Stuff. Specifically, money, but just stuff in general.
0: I mean, obviously, money is used to buy stuff. Yes. You know, you're not like a swimming in the money bin kind of scenario, right? Uh, the Scrooge. money is there to buy something. <laughs> you know what I'm referring to, right, Ethan? Yes, yes. They're
1: very, very classy. Very classy. Classy reference.
0: <laughs> I grew up with that cartoon, man.
1: Come on. now. No, I like it. I like it. Actually, that's that's one of our go- go-to cartoons on Saturday morning. We're referring to Ducktales,
0: by the way, yes, Uncle Scrooge. If sorry. you, were, if, for those in the room that were wondering, a little bit of nerd moment there. Great, great, of okay, So, content. <laughs> so filthy lucre is obviously referring to the stuff you buy. So, can you right. say? filthy lucrative stuff, sure, because money is used to buy Buy stuff. stuff. But essentially you're right, Ethan. It's referring to money. Greedy of money because of what you hope to buy with your money. Correct. Over and again, how many spiritual leaders have gotten themselves in trouble through the misuse, the abuse, the downright embezzlement of church funds? I read about a church, this is just recently, the husband and wife are going to prison for, I think it's only two, which is mind-blowing, because they stole over half, that they know of, over half a million dollars from a uh, from a ministry, it was over the space of, like, 14 years.
1: Oh my. I mean, so, so, you know,
0: half a million over 14 years isn't as, as much as you might think. Every year, you know, what, $50,000 in a year. That's a still a lot of money, though. Of money, so man, this woman basically had oversight over the money no one else did. Wow. She used it. To, her and her husband would go on vacations. Yeah. They would uh, gamble with it. <laughs> she lost, like, she didn't get rich, obviously. She's still as broke as she was the Lord's been before good for <laughs> <laughs> half a million. She went on vacation one of the times with some of her money embezzled, and, and someone was um, counting the funds and, and inserting it into the books, and they saw what looked – someone who knew they were looking for or you know, knew what it should look like said, wait, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Come to find out she had like ghost accounts that she was filtering money into and pulling it out and putting ambiguous, wow. bogus uh, things on the, check, on the letter on – the, on the ledger. But that happens a lot, Ethan. She puts the con in women's conference that- – okay you're a dad so you're allowed that now you got got a couple (laughs) kids all right so this is a common it is so common now we're not even shocked anymore to read this it's like oh there's another one happens all the time Mm -hmm. people who don't have oversight or accountability when they are counting money the temptation is just so strong but you at least want to start i mean obviously there needs to be checks and balances in place multiple people counting money Mm -hmm. and multiple eyes on the money and and, uh, uh, everything that's needed to ensure there is no embezzlement. But let's at least start with someone who's proven that they don't love money. Because someone who's all about money, dangerous to put them in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. Now, isn't that funny? Because you know what I find? Most churches do the opposite. They choose the businessman. I'm not saying it's a sin to be a businessman. But the businessman who have made business their life mm-hmm. where the dollar is the most important thing, mm-hmm. where if the pastor doesn't stay under budget, he's out of here, right. where he needs my approval as the deacon to, get. to spend the money, to get the money because money, without money, we're sunk. Without money, we're nothing. Without money, we can't move forward. It's not about God. It's not about faith. It's not about the movement of the Holy Spirit. It's about money. Money is the almighty dollar. And these are the guys who are placed in deacons' positions. And God literally
1: warns us not to do that. Um, it just kind of goes to a reminder that, hey, what's the purpose of the deacon? Is it to you – because know, at, at some point, you know, you're going to be helping people who can do nothing for you. You're going to have to help people, at least from the beginning, and then you have to, might have to taper off. But you're going to have to help people who – there is literally zero return of investment. They keep making the same mistakes which yes right, which is again, which is yes you know
0: that 's human nature that
1: 's human nature and and if you 're a money guy, like well, this person's not changing, why are we, why are we helping them? Why do we help we need to find out what these you know the, the, these are the guys who want to do like huge background checks of the people who they are uh, who are trying to serve, you know how often you know they try to to um, put legislation and I guess in the church to make sure like how, how we help people back the end of the day. You know, like your job is to take whatever finances we have that we've designated for you to help people with, and then help them.
0: There there does need to be some wisdom, correct, on how we help people, who we help, how much we help them, how often we help them. Right, because obviously wisdom needs to be involved. But wisdom is tainted when the person making the decision cares about money more than they do people. Right. So. We're not saying there shouldn't be some kind of application process. We have one. Right. We have a ministry that assists people, and yes. there is an application process. But if the person is thinking about the money the whole time, no one will ever get anything.
1: No, because, again, most of the people that you're—you have to assume that when you're doing a ministry, the type of ministry that deacons are really called to do, you're going to help people who will make mistakes. You're going to help people who will, you know, eventually go to. They're not— you know. A good investment. They're not a good investment. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yes.
0: You are going to help people who are not a strong financial investment.
1: Right, which is which is horrible to think of if you're a businessman.
0: <laughs> That's correct. Again, they'll never get help. Right. So when it comes to those who are in places of spiritual leadership, service, in my opinion, that includes the bookkeeper, the treasurers. Mm-hmm. It is a dangerous thing to place people in that position who, verse 8, do place money mm-hmm. over people. That's a big problem for me. I'm not saying that the bookkeeper shouldn't have a clue about money. I'm not saying you should put someone in there who's broke themselves, doesn't know how to handle money. I'm saying do not put the person who has made money the center of their life. That person, in my opinion, should not have any spiritual leadership in the church, especially dealing with people as it relates to money. (laughs) Money and people.
1: And just as a add-on to that, you don't have to be wealthy to be greedy or filthy lucre. That is very true. <laughs> and you're right.
0: It's not just the wealthy. You're, that's a great point.
1: And which you know, if just because someone like oh they, they're always praying, that's really great. Yeah, and they're all you know they're always trying to help people and they don't have much. Well, that person might be just you don't know. I don't know. They might be making very unwise financial choices.
0: You know, on the flip side of that, just because they are wealthy doesn't mean they are greedy, filthy lucre. Correct. So yeah. let's not assume that, right. that businessmen can't be the deacons. I'm not right. saying that. Right. I'm saying the ones, the businessmen and women who have made it obvious that money is most important, why would you place them as a spiritual leader? I guess what we're,
1: we're saying is, like, doesn't matter the economic status of somebody. Their character is more than their economic status. But their economic status can be can be an indicator, but you cannot assume that.
0: I think it's just wise to evaluate the person before you give them a leadership position. Make sure the kind of person they are, because you're going to entrust them with the mental health, the spiritual health, the financial, and even the actual health of your people. You're entrusting it to these deacons. These deacons are essentially the first responders in an emergency situation. When someone's in the hospital, I think, in my opinion, the deacons should be the ones first on the scene. Might even be before the pastors. Why? Because, as was stated in Acts, the pastors are pretty busy with everything else going on. Anything added to what's an already busy schedule doesn't mean the pastors can't and should not make time. It is not as easy for them to make time. Whereas a deacon, that is the emergency, is their job description. It is their calling. They should be first on the scene.
1: Yeah, that was why they were. That's one of the reasons why it was instituted in the first place. As you talked about last week from Acts six.
0: So we need to make sure that the men that are called to the place of deacon are men who prioritize people, who take the, the hurt in their life seriously, who aren't going to treat it lightheartedly, who aren't going to say one thing and do another. There are people who are not drunks, alcoholics, bringing a bad testimony to the, the kingdom of God as they reach the hurting. Well, that's it for tonight. We're going to continue on, again, not next week. We'll continue the week after, uh, finishing up, probably finishing up, if not almost. Uh, we are going to talk briefly about the deacon's wives. That's going to be in verse 11. There will be a conversation there as well. Because when you hire a pastor, you get a pastor's wife almost every time. And when you are, you are placing a deacon, whatever um, spiritual authority that, that, that people do impart on that deacon and how they look up to that deacon— The wife is kind of elevated to a level as well, and you want to make sure that both of them represent God's church well. Have a great night, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.